Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast. And uh, of course, we're uh, probably about 14 days from, from Election Day on November 3rd. And there's still a lot of outstanding questions as it relates to the election. Uh, certainly the balance of the Senate, which will be contended with uh, on January 5th with two uh, uh, special elections for uh, two Georgia Senate races. And then, of course, we've got some uh, outstanding uh, deliberations as re- relates to the presidential election as well. But we wanted to do this special podcast because we've got a great guest for you today, Rod Shaw, who's chairman and principal of the Alpine Group. The Alpine Group has long represented Discus on our efforts on Capitol Hill. And, and Rod has a great uh, you know, long-standing career in history, representing uh, many Fortune 500 companies, uh, working close in collaboration with Republicans and Democrats, and uh, uh, has long represented Discus as well, the Distilled Spirits Council. So, Rod Shaw, thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you for being here. We'd like to have your your take on uh, the election results and really, most specifically, the direct impact on uh, the distilled spirits industry, primarily for Capitol Hill. What does all this mean? And Rod, as you know, we've got uh, much on our plate uh, just over the next month or so, and plenty on our plate come uh, the start of uh, 2021. Just in the next month or so, we're anxious about the passage of the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform Act. We've got many issues contending with tariffs uh, as it relates to the relationship between the EU and the U.S. We've got the possibility of cannabis legalization might come to the forefront, assuming the Democrats will have uh, uh, certainly control of the House, uh, outstanding question related to the Senate, but with control of the administration, cannabis legalization could come to the forefront as well. And then, of course, over the next month or so, we're very, very anxious about the Trump administration's publishing of the U.S. dietary guidelines as well. So, and then uh, with the new Congress coming in, what does that all mean for our industry? And uh, many, many implications, no matter how the politics fall. So, Rod, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, we'll just turn it over to you. What does this all mean for the great distilled spirits industry uh, as we live in, uh, uh, we're anticipating we're going to live in a divided government, more than likely, with Republicans potentially controlling the Senate, and then obviously uh, with, with, uh, with sadness, I would say, our country is very, very divided. Uh, right now, as we count it, uh, 76 million people uh, voted in support of uh, Pro- Vice President Biden to become the 46th president. And then uh, President Trump received 72 million uh, votes plus. So uh, we live in a great divided world. Uh, the unique thing about the distilled spirits industry is uh, we believe a cocktail between Republicans and Democrats can cure a lot and help uh, Republicans and Democrats find common ground. But uh, the distilled spirits industry isn't partisan. Uh, we are focused on the interests of our industry. 
working in close concert with both Democrats and Republicans alike. So, Rob, why don't you just introduce yourself, if you don't mind, and your background, and tell us what we should anticipate in the coming months. Sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Chris. I look back when we were getting ready for this. I uh, started work on April 1, 2004 with Discus. So it has been a, it has been a, a long and uh, fascinating period of time and have really uh, been grateful for the opportunity to work together. So thank you for that. You know, you, you raise so many topics and there's so many different directions to take on this. What, because so many people who may be listening to this are politically sophisticated or, you know, reading, watching what they may have. I, I was thinking of something that we might be able to level set that is news or newsworthy to them. And it's the following. To me, one of the most interesting things about this election is not how divided we are. It is the strategy that each of the teams deployed going into this election cycle, because it was different than what we normally do in the past. Um, Having run campaigns, you're political, you understand this as well. Historically, what happens is each team goes into the field and says, I have my team. And now I try to figure out how to keep my team happy while I try to find the middle, whether I'm coming at it from the right or the left-hand direction. And so your game is, in my mind, has always been horizontal. It's have my base, how do I get myself over to 50.1? This cycle was very different for both sides of the equation, which is they were not looking to come to the middle, they were looking to deepen their silos. And that was, and this is going to have impact to the members and the companies and the folks who are listening to this podcast in terms of the outcome. What they ended up doing was saying, no, 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 I'm not worried about moving to the middle because if I move to the middle, I lose my base. I lose the folks that are fired up. On both sides. On On both sides. Both sides. The the progressives couldn't move too far off or they would lose that crowd. And the the Trump world was going to have a difficulty doing it. So what they did is they sat down and said, we are going to find people who don't normally vote. And we are going to actually make the case that our policies, our politics are so different, our personalities are so different that people are going to want to show up and come vote. And so what happened was you saw the Republican Party spend two years looking for their strongest demographic group, which is white, non-four-year college males in Michigan, Wisconsin, the panhandle of Florida, Pennsylvania, and said, we're going to go find them and register them because our margin there is so good. That's our voter. Democrats said, we are going to see increases in voter turnout from people of color, young people, et cetera. The interesting thing to me about that is it's no wonder the polling was bad because when you pay a pollster, what do they do? They go and they actually survey likely voters. Likely voters, that's right. Likely voters are people who voted two of the last three cycles. Well, what did both teams say they were doing? They weren't looking for likely voters. They were looking for new voters. They were going to people that were never going to get a phone call from a pollster saying, what do you think? Because the assumption was, you're a non-voter. I'm not going to look at you. So the first thing was, I never thought the polls were going to be all that useful or instructive. The real game was going to be, did how did each team do executing their unique strategy? And the reason that actually matters going forward is it speaks to how you want to govern. If what you've done is said, I'm horizontal, I've got my base, but I'm trying to find my way into the middle, that's one politic. That means when you win, you have a rhetoric and a policy platform that says we're going to be finding this middle ground. When you go to the silo, the answer is, no, no, I actually know exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm going to try to actually prevail as purely as I can in that silo. So whoever was going to win 
I thought was going to make it very difficult to legislate unless they had overwhelming majorities for themselves in, in each realm. So it would be true whether it's the Republicans win or the Democrats win. Uh, you know, I mean, the Democrats, if they take control of the House and Senate, they're still going to have our time legislating because they have blue dog yeah. Democrats. They have people. In, from in Ron, if I got this right, I think Trump, uh, the Trump campaign brought in eight million new voters. I correct. think that's right. But then Vice President Biden garnered purportedly uh, more votes than any Democrat uh, presidential nominee ever, even more so than than Barack Obama, which is which is amazing. So it looks like to some degree, both campaigns achieved uh, what they sought out for. Yep. Uh, I, I think the big surprise of it all is. And they're still counting the votes, but uh, Republicans gained uh, potentially maybe 10 seats on Democrats in the House. And it may go all the way up to 15 seats, but potentially that may be a little bit too aspirational. But so so we're still a divided country, right? Uh, When you go to to organize the first week of January, you have Republicans going, we did very well. We, we, we held everything in the Senate that was surprising to people. They made gains in the House. You know, the White House dynamic has been what it has been. But even just in the Congress alone, you have them saying that strategy actually worked. It, we, we did not say we were going to be mealy-mouth, you know, wishy-washy. They said, no, no, we have very clear principles about what we're doing. The Democrats think they had the same thing. The Act Blue Wave, the Sunrise oh. Movement, they think was very clear and concise of what they want. So. The, the election being divisive is true in the vote count, but it is still true in the minds of each party as they show up to January 1 to, to begin to govern. So that, that's, a, that's a long intro, but it is, to me, important because people get caught up where the pollster's right or who is one. And, and my look was, let's look a little bit below that and look at what's driving each team and what then is an industry, how do we navigate those things where no one's necessarily looking for the kumbaya moment? They are at the moment going, no, no, I'm trying to prevail on, a, on, an, on an ideology or a worldview that the other team may not share. And that, that, that makes you know, our job, your job, a, a whole lot more challenging in the past where people kind of got through the election and then sat down and said, okay, what do we do together? <laughs> That's not the way it feels. So, Rod, with uh, uh, with with the anticipation, we're dealing with uh, uh, President Joe Biden being the 46th president with uh, uh, we're still living in the unknowns. But most people would guess that the odds are probably higher that Republicans will will win those two seats uh, in Georgia. I mean, history would suggest that. But. I mean, the Georgia Democrats did phenomenal in registering Democratic voters in in Georgia. So let's just play this out. You've got a, a President Biden as the 46th president. You've got more than possible uh, a Republican-controlled Senate, maybe by two votes. And then you've got a thinly margin controlled House by by the Democrats. 
What does that mean for the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform Act? As you know, uh, we're going to be marching to try to get the Craft Beverage Bill reauthorized by Congress during the lame duck. Um, I worry just because of the outstanding questions with everything. Uh, we may struggle to get uh, the House and the Senate to focus in really getting something done during, during the lame duck Congress. Uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell, of course, said the, the day after the election that he felt like it was important to do an economic stimulus bill uh, before the end of the year. So uh, let's just start off with the craft beverage bill. What should we think about? As And in large part, I would just register this and turn it over to you. Uh, the issues important for the distilled spirits industry uh, uh, is right down the line. We don't we don't weigh heavy on the Republican side or the Democratic side, right? And what that's what's unique. I mean, the craft beverage bill in itself has 356 sponsors on the House side, bipartisan, and the same applies on the Democratic side, on the Senate's, I mean, on the, on the Senate side where we've got 76 co-sponsors and it's bipartisan. And I would argue, uh, you know, the distilled spirits industry kind of goes right down the middle in terms of bipartisan issues in large part. So over to you on the craft beverage bill, what should we be thinking about the craft beverage bill as we consider the lame duck and then soon afterwards? Of course, we're gonna be pushing to make the craft beverage bill permanent. So I'm a country music fan, and I saw Maren Morris won an award for a song I love called Bones, the Bones on uh, the Country Music Awards. And one of the lines in there is about how important it is to have a good foundation, that if the foundation is good, you can withstand, you know, wins, trials, and tribulations. The foundation on the craft beverage bill is incredibly strong for the reasons you just articulated. If we did not have the breadth of support I would argue we'd be dead on arrival because it'd be easy to cast this off as either a partisan issue or one that's a niche. We are neither partisan nor are we a niche. In fact, I would argue we've been successful enough because of everybody probably on this call, you know, on the Zoom, you know, hearing this podcast who have reached out to members across the country on a bipartisan basis, talking about the impact on local economy, the ag, the associated industries that are involved. That actually, 400% tax increases coming up on January 1, right? Exactly. That that we also have actually been so successful, we are now leverageable, meaning when we're in a bill, people go, oh, we want you in the bill because we think that actually gives the bill that you might catch a write on a chance to move. The, the, the million-dollar question for us really is obviously, can Congress get its act together to do something before it adjourns for the for the session? And that is not going to be knowable by anybody until the negotiations really are underway once the House and Senate have organized as they are doing this week. And that, that week after Thanksgiving, I think what's happening with COVID, what's happening with the economy, what governors are signaling to their respective delegations on a bipartisan basis is going to impact the cauldron in which a negotiation occurs to get something done. You know, it, it is very hard to handicap at this point the odds of, of success. I, I have found in history, as I'm sure you have, it is always better to bet the under with Congress. <laughs> you know, kicking no in is what it does best. Um, this may be a different moment in time. You do see 
you know, the leaders with their own rhetoric, explaining things in their own way, but talking about how we have need and the country recognizes there is a need to get something done post-pandemic or the dynamic of the pandemic. So I, I feel very good in this regard. If they can move a package of any size, meaning it's not just a clean, neat, we put more money back into the PPP program or something like they've done in the past. If they are doing something of any magnitude, I feel very good about our chances. To be folded in, into that bill. Be folded into that bill. If we cannot get around to doing a larger bill, there is no way to get us done unilaterally as I see it. It's, too, it's just too difficult because no one will let one thing slide. It's either kind of everything in a package or not. And at this point, it's just too early to tell. So if, if the bones weren't good, we, we, would not, we would not be in play either way. Because we have done such good work having broad buy-in and people get the importance of this, as long as we get a vehicle, I feel very good about our chances. What I would say is the squeaky wheel does get attention. And so if people are wondering, well, Congress is, you know, just finished the elections and I don't know what's happening. I would say this is the time of year to be contacting people. It grassroots still matters. So if there are people out here who said, well, I talked to my congressman or senator in June or May of this year, they know about it. The answer is no, no, no. You got to stay in touch with them in December because that's when this last chapter is going to get written. And we need people going, oh, that's right. I remember. Oh, that's right. This is something I need to get done. So activism in December is not something most people want to hear about is they're figuring their end of the year life, their Christmas, balancing Thanksgiving, who they see, COVID, all that other stuff. But I would say activism will be helpful, would be helpful. And for all of our podcast watchers, just be on the lookout uh, because uh, Discus is going to be organizing a day of action where we're going to put our Spirit United grassroots platform into action to just to make sure that our advocacy uh, platform is being heard all across the country to lawmakers, that it's imperative uh, to get to, to, to get the craft beverage bill done sooner rather than later. And we're literally on the clock, probably 45 days left for the industry faces a 400 plus percent tax increase. Let's talk about tariffs, Rod. Obviously, President Trump has approached international trade very differently and uniquely, unlike other presidents, uh, with a great alarm for trade deficits between our country and the EU. China and so forth. And that aggressive trade posture has resulted in implications for our great industry. Now, we've seen publicly that Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden, uh, really wants to reset the relationship with the European Union. And as you are aware, the distilled spirits industry is caught up in two different trade disputes, one related to steel and aluminum, and the other one related to a longstanding trade dispute case related to the Boeing and Airbus subsidy uh, program. So, so with that, I think we've enjoyed great, broad, bipartisan support of concern about the tariffs on Capitol Hill. But this president, President Trump, has been more focused on the the long-term outcome related to addressing the trade deficit between the U.S. and the EU, and certainly uh, resolving, settling the Bone and Airbus case. So I think we've got long-term, I mean, we've got deep support of concern by 
Capitol Hill, but how would you look at uh, a Biden administration approaching some of these uh, trade uh, dispute challenges that he's going to inherit from from President Trump? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's it's a great question, and and it, again, it you know, a Trump world is viewed as you said uh, how to address international policy with one set of tools and the Biden team is clearly looking at a different set of tools. Sometimes personality, style, engagement. So, I mean, in talking with a number of um, colleagues across the globe on this, a lot of the, and I'll speak to the EU and UK, they're watching very closely what happens day one. You know, it, when Biden walks into the White House on January 20th, he is most likely to be looking at a number of international executive orders and decisions that can include getting back into the Paris. Paris climate change agreement. Yep. Yep. You're going to see things happening probably around immigration policy Mm -hmm. and on on other fronts, WHO, there's a number of different places he could be making a distinct break from what the Trump administration has done for a lot of folks, they look around the globe, they're looking at that as, okay, the U.S. is changing its re-engagement. Will that now have a direct impact on how people play out where we are the football in the Airbus Boeing fight? <laughs> you know, yeah. what happens to the collateral damage parts of the economy that are caught up in those things? And does it change our European counterparts' willingness to kind of step down, ratchet down? Does it change how the American government steps down, ratchet is down some of the tariff policy. I I, I get the sense there is a, a, a feeling of just kind of de-escalation of rhetoric, policy, tariff. How quickly that comes about, how it meaningful, take will take some time, I think. I mean, I think the easy things are going to be seen in the first week of any new administration. We now rely on executive orders. We rely on executive authority for a lot of things. Uh, that which one administration can do, the next one can undo. This is why I'm a legislator at heart. You pass a law, it gets very hard to change with the whims, right? It would be nice to have a little more certitude. But I, I, I think even with where we stand in the tariff issue is important to us, where it stands in the queue of things a Biden administration would be thinking about, we're, we're behind having to deal with COVID and getting that distributed. Yeah. Manufacturer, I mean, like, just start multiplying out the things. It's going to take some time, I think, before we have any real clarity as to whether there's meaningful change in tariff rates or other kind of trade-related policies that have direct impact on the distilled spirits industry. Absolutely. Rod, tell us a little bit about the Democrats and the Biden administration's potential interest in cannabis legalization, uh, which certainly could have some implications for the industry. As I understand it, in September, uh, the Democratic-controlled White House uh, was going to bring forward the Moore Act for passage, which is essentially cannabis legalization. They may bring it up during the lame duck. Time will tell. Uh, But obviously, there is strong interest from the Democratic side of the aisle to pursue cannabis legalization. Uh, What's your take on that? And certainly the industry, our industry is going to have to have 
a voice uh, to be heard in that because it could have some uh, direct implications from a competitive perspective and or a complementary perspective for our industry. Uh, could you give us some insights on what we should anticipate under a Biden house as it relates to cannabis legalization? Yeah, you 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 touched very accurately on the fact that the their platform focuses on decriminalization. You have uh, social justice. You have Senator Harris is one of the lead co-sponsors on the Senate vehicle to 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 deal with that. I also think there's another component as you watch what happened in state houses in state elections this this November on issues related to to cannabis. That actually, uh, I also think there's a revenue component. What is one of the biggest hangups as we watch Congress trying to do a COVID package? It's this issue over how much does the federal government need to be helping state and local governments. For those states that are dependent upon sales tax, COVID has actually not only had layoffs, it has obviously slowed down uh, uh, their economies, which has therefore had revenue. So they have all these various problems associated with that. And that's why we worry about state excise tax fights come come next year because of uh, the state's need for revenue, right? Yeah, it's so you you take on this long simmering dynamic around criminal justice reform and decriminalizing the use of cannabis. Then you add on a financial need <laughs> where the the tax revenue that can come from the product uh, that feels like we are on it. We are on a trendy line that we. We currently see the trend that there are more states that are opening. The federal government is more receptive to this, um, and and I I think when you when you lay on the need for a new revenue stream and they're hard to identify or find, I think that makes it almost an intoxicating bad use of the word, uh, you know, uh, option for them to consider. I I also do think though one of the other issues that has had. Uh, attention but has not been reconciled that, that also comes into play is you know, we, we have had to deal with this issue of of trying to understand what is the impairment side to cannabis and how that plays out you know for a long time the federal government has tied infrastructure dollars to what states do around yeah. you know blood alcohol content well are we going to be doing the same thing now that we're looking at major stimulus bills and infrastructure I mean, it doesn't matter who the president is I think we're going to spend a lot of money in the next two years around infrastructure. Um, you know, are we going to be seeing anything dealing with the the impact of increased cannabis use on what, you know, what when somebody gets pulled over, what's safe, what's impaired, what isn't, how does this work? There's even those kind of dynamics out there. So no doubt, the, you know, the, the issue is ripe, uh, but there are, there are still some challenges ahead for that industry. Um, because when you talk to law enforcement, there are a lot of folks who are saying, I don't, I don't know what they're on when I've pulled them over and I'm trying to figure out how to, how to be able to manage that. So there's, there are those kind of issues as well. We're going to have to contend with that for sure. And responsibility.org, which is the industry foundation. I mean, one of the key priorities is really to tackle impaired driving and poly substance use. That's the mix of alcohol and illicit and or legal drugs, cannabis could be. And we did see in on the November 3rd elections, four states voted by ballot uh, to legalize recreational cannabis. So 
uh, impaired driving and as more than likely, certainly under a Biden administration, they're going to focus on infrastructure probably in the early days. I think we're going to have to contend with that and make sure that law enforcement has the technology and the tools available to them where uh, we can keep our roads safe uh, for sure. So, uh, well, we're dealing with an un uncertain world for sure. Uh, what's your advice and counsel how our industry, uh, you know, there are still outstanding questions about the result of the presidential election. There's outstanding questions about who's going to control the Senate. And we'll know more about that come January 5th uh, when those two Georgia open, open Senate seat elections will be had. Uh, what do we need to do, Rod, as an industry in the next couple of months? Certainly, uh, uh, Donald J. Trump is the president of the United States, and we're going to have to work with his administration over the next couple of months, while at the same time anticipate the potential of uh, uh, incoming uh, Biden administration as well, but also be prepared to navigate and adjust should anything come to light in terms of the legal cases the Trump campaign is being brought to bear as well. What would your advice for the industry be here in the, in the next couple of weeks? You know, there's this is actually easy, which is not always the case when you're talking to an industry sector. There is an incredibly powerful local politics story behind this sector, whether it's the biggest players to the, the most recent startup. This is, this is an industry that is integrated into communities at every level, whether it is, again, the who makes the glass bottle for your product, whether it's where you buy your corn, wheat, whatever yeah. product that may be, to your relationship with the local uh, hospitality industry. So whether that's, that's restaurants, bars, all these components. And at a time where everyone is hurting <laughs> because of COVID, to actually have a sector say the policies that you, the federal government make regarding our sector doesn't just have impact to me, but has very clear, very transparent, understandable impacts across all these various platforms. I think, I think is really powerful. And so I, I go back to there is nothing more useful than grassroots, you know, uh, education. And by education, I mean upstream to their policymakers. If we lay quiet between now and the end of the year, shame on us, right? Yeah. Uh, whether that's the work you and I do on a daily basis or whether it's for others on, uh, on this, uh, on the zoom podcast, the, the need to pick up the phone and check in in December is vital because this is this is the moment. You know, as you know, and maybe maybe folks don't quite realize, you really get two peak periods of time. Congress is just like a college student; they get things done when it comes finals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> finals is December twenty second every year in Congress. That's that's when we go. Whoops, we'd like to go home for Christmas. We haven't done our homework. We haven't done our appropriations bills whoops, we got to get this all done and they cram. And so it, for the people who said, well, geez, I taught the kid back in May and June what to think. If they haven't revisited it in December, they may not remember it for the final. And so uh, my number one suggestion is if you have a relationship, pick up the phone, send an email. If you don't, it's a good time to pick up the phone and send an email because this is the right moment in time. It needs to be front and center. 
So thank you for that, Rod. And, and really, my call out to all of our listeners, uh, certainly I presume many of y'all are signed up to the Spirits United platform. If not, www.spiritunited.org. We've got 34,000 plus people signed up, but we haven't even come close to tapping into the potential voice for our industry. So, and uh, we will be activating the Spirit United grassroots platform here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to host a day of action uh, to get uh, to really activate that grassroots platform. And look, uh, uh, what's unique about our role at Discus is uh, we just got a tech and roll, and uh, we are dealing with some uncertain times uh, politically, usually post-election day, soon after election day. We know exactly what we're going to be contending with with the incoming incoming Congress, but uh, it's premature to really know how this is going to play out. But our industry is going to uh, throw the ball right down the middle, work closely with Democrats and Republicans alike, work closely with the Trump administration, certainly over the next two two months and beyond, and certainly be prepared to work very, very closely uh, with the Biden transition team as well, and uh, with the possibility of an incoming uh, Biden administration as well. So this now more than ever is important for our industry uh, to be on full-scale alert, because we've got a wind-share mind, and we've got to wind-share a voice, and this is where we're going to need uh, you know, uh, engagement in the political process. There's no why in team, right? This is going to be a full-scale team effort, and it's going to take everybody in the industry to be fully engaged, as Rod's been talking about, on the grassroots side of things, particularly given all the uncertainty in our country right now. So, Rod, thank you very, very much uh, for being on. Thank you for your long-standing and committed uh, representation of the distilled spirits industry. Uh, and uh, for me, uh, it is a privilege to represent a great industry of great working class people that want to make people happy and want to really contribute uh, to hospitality in our country. And uh, as this has been such a trying time with COVID and the pandemic and all of the above, hopefully a cocktail or two has helped our consumers uh, really appreciate the finer things in life uh, with news coming out of a vaccine soon coming, hopefully by uh, the end of the first quarter, uh, maybe, just maybe, we'll get back to life as normal. We've got to support our on-premise retail customers greatly over the next couple of months because they're having a tough time and certainly continue to bring our great products to the marketplace for consumers to enjoy. Uh, Rod, any other lasting uh, remarks before we depart? You know, you talk about it being a cocktail. I'm going to give you one last anecdote. So yesterday I went for my socially distanced exercise, which meant walking the GW Parkway down to, to Mount Vernon. And I was thinking to myself as I was walking it, I bet no one else on this trail is thinking about him as our founding father distiller in the United Absolutely. States. Absolutely. But it proves I, would, I have a filter for everything. And for me, it was like, hmm. I wish I could actually hop in there and pick up another little uh, piece, uh, uh, bottle of whiskey, but no such luck. But, uh, it, it, you know, the distilling industry is everywhere. And, uh, you know, I, I love that image of George Washington being kind of one of the founding fathers for the, 
for the domestic sector. So even even when I'm outside walking around, I seem to have it on my mind. So anyhow, no Chris, doubt I really appreciate the opportunity to be with everyone today. Thank you. You got it, Rod. Well, keep up the great work and we'll be on pins and needles over the next couple of weeks, but uh, looking forward to being joined at the hip with you. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much. Great cheers to you. Thank you. Thank you. The Spirited Advocate Podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.